this morning we'll be covering Proverbs 4. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn there to Proverbs 4. Now, be, now before we read this passage, uh, I want you to imagine something. Okay, I want you to imagine uh, a relay race. Uh, so starting from the beginning of the relay race, we have the first runners, they line up on the line. And when they're finally ready to take off, uh, the gunshot goes off and the runners begin to run. Now, as you root for one particular team to win, you get excited as you see the first runner starting off well. And he passes off the baton to the next runner. And the second runner grabs the baton and he takes off. Then with great speed, he passes it off to the third runner. And so you're cheering them on as they go. And you see that the third runner moving significantly faster than the others. So you have great hope. Uh, but when it was time for that third runner to pass the baton to the final runner, you notice that the transition was not as smooth as the others were. And to your disappointment, the last runner drops the baton. And there was a failure in passing the baton that resulted to the loss uh, for that team. And of course, everyone groaned out loud as they saw the baton fall. And for everyone at the race, it seemed like everything was with everything that was done before, right, all the, 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 the fast running and the smooth passing of the batons, uh, was, was like a waste because the very last one, uh, it didn't work out with the, with the last runner. The, the baton was not passed and transferred over as smoothly as, as the first set of runners. And so the failure to pass the baton was the defeat for the whole relay team. Now, keeping that in mind, that example, that illustration, I want you to think about our faith in Christ. And I think it's far more tragic when it is the failure, when we see the failure of passing the baton of our faith to our children, to the next generation, that sort of thing. Our faith is a treasure that was given to us. There are people before us who invested their whole lives in studying scripture, uh, learning and growing so that they, they would be able to pass this on to their children and to the future generation. And uh, as we see throughout history, uh, you see ups and downs when it comes to the faith. George Gallup, an American pioneer of survey sampling techniques and inventor of the Gallup poll, maybe you're familiar with him, uh, which is the Gallup poll, which is a successful statistical method of surveying for the goal of measuring public opinion. When he was interviewed in 1990, uh, he commented uh, that he commented this: that he was struck by the failure of much of the baby boom generation to pass on uh, to their children the spiritual trust that they themselves had received from their parents. And I, I got this from uh, World Magazine. Now, this is not intended to say that we today are any better at passing on the truth to, our, our, uh, our, to the future generation. In fact, I'm, I'm not sure how we're doing. However, it's, a, it's an important thing to discuss and to consider what is God requiring you, um, what is God requiring of the church, and I think more significantly, what is God requiring of the parents, those of you who are parents and have children, when it comes to 
uh, discipling your children and transferring our faith, what we believe, our doctrines, uh, to them so that they would grow in the faith as well. Keep all that in mind. Let's, let's go ahead and look at today's passage. It'll be uh, Proverbs 4. We're doing 1 through 27, which is the whole, the whole chapter. Uh, can someone read that for us? Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you of the way of wisdom, I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction, do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of, of the evil. Avoid it, do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from you. Thank you, brother. And so in this, in this chapter, um, there is this theme that informs all the other details of, of the chapter. And it's this concept of the father instructing the son and telling him uh, to heed to his instruction, to heed to his wisdom. And he uses the example of himself, right? As, as there was a time when he too was a son and his father instructed him as well in the ways of the Lord. So I, I want to summarize the whole thing in three key points. Three key points that you see emphasized in this chapter. And you'll see it also in your handout. Point number one is uh, the Christian father is to pass on the baton of faith by instructing your children in the way of the Lord. Okay? Key number two is Christian father is to pass on the baton of faith by leading your children in the way of the Lord. Not only instructing, but leading. And then number three, the Christian father is to pass on the baton of faith and do so with confidence. 
and you'll see why, and you'll see where we, we get these keys from as we go through it. Let's begin with the first point. Uh, Christian fathers, to pass on the baton of faith by instructing your children in the way of the Lord. Uh, verses 1 through 4 exhort us to pass on to our children the godly teaching we ourselves have received, right? The godly father of Proverbs here is seeking to impart to his son the spiritual teaching and relationship with the Lord that he himself received from his father. And now he urges his son to receive it as his own. You see that there. It says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. So here we have an example uh, given by the father about how when he was a child, uh, he too received instruction from his father. Uh, and I'll say this, in, in an age of relativism, which we face today, uh, where many believe that there isn't right or wrong, I think it's important for us to give instruction to our children in this same way. Right? Uh, the world may not like making distinctions of right or wrong, and sometimes they confuse them. We as Christian parents ought to be clear to our children what is right and what is wrong. You know, whether they follow it or not is, is another story, um, but our instruction to them is to show them uh, right and wrong in that way. Now, as I mentioned last week, uh, the instruction given to the son in Proverbs, uh, oftentimes it, it sounds like it's his own wisdom. He's just giving instruction because he lived, you know, a hard life. And a, a lot of times you see that in today's parenting as well. I lived a hard and tough life, so let me give you the wisdom from the hard and tough life that I lived. That's not the kind of wisdom that uh, the, the father here in the Proverbs is giving to his son. As I mentioned last week, the wisdom that the father is giving to the son is not his own wisdom. It's not from his own personal experience necessarily. It's instruction from God that he's passing to his children. And so the key thing to learn there is that just because you've lived a long and hard life doesn't mean that you're filled with wisdom. <laughs> uh, wisdom comes from God's word, and that's, that's the standard. Uh, the instruction given to the son in Proverbs is instruction that's based on God, God's word, as the father himself is a follower of God. Proverbs 2.5 tells us that uh, through the father's instruction, the son would find the knowledge of God. See that? That's found in Proverbs 2.5, that through the father's instruction, the child would find the knowledge of God. This implies that the father's wisdom and instruction was coming from God's word. And as he taught God's word, he recalls, he recalls this uh, as being done to him by his own father. And this is a call for us today to make known to our children the word of God. Now, in today's world, many in today's world have suggested that the, the least thing we need to be doing is indoctrinating our children. Uh, they would say that we need to avoid instructing them in any religious way. They would call that a form of brainwashing. However, this is a major inconsistency on their part, and we need to reject that pushback that the world gives us. The world tells, tells us, don't instruct your children in religion. That's brainwashing them. We need to reject that right away. And the reason why is they fail to realize that the moment a human being is born, 
Uh, he's bombarded with information that is formative and moves them in a certain direction. In other words, if you're not indoctrinating your children, the world will. And it's not, it's not a, a natural wisdom. The world would feed their lies and their corruptions to your child. And so either you do it according to God's word or the world will do it for you. And this is on top of the fact that uh, we're all born with a, a natural sinful inclination. But aside from that, the world is constantly feeding us with dangerous ideas, falsities, and godless philosophies that have only proven to be deadly in the end. And if you hand your child over to the world, then they grow up and they're 30 or something. And you're like, you know, what happened to my child? <laughs> well, you handed them over to the world. And all of these ideas that are being fed to them are treated as normal. And so when the wisdom of God is what you decide to train your child in, the world will attack you as if you're someone who is brainwashing your children with religion. Now what, what we're actually doing when we train our children in the word of God is that we're training them in truth as opposed to the lies that the world is embracing and spreading. Now notice the contrast of these two verses, John 18 38a. You guys remember this. Pilate asked him, what is truth? And we go to John 17, 17, and we read that your word is truth. Your word is truth, referring to God's word. So what does this tell us? This tells us that the function of training your children up in God's word is not a form of brainwashing but rather a counteraction so that your children don't get brainwashed and brainwashed by this world. This is to say that we, as Christians, when we instruct our children in the word of God, what we're doing is we're preserving truth for our children lest they accept the insanity that's being taught to them by the world. And it is insanity. And I think it's very odd that many Christians today seek for wisdom from the world or even prefer the world to instruct them on, on important matters, even with respect to spiritual things. Now, this isn't to say that unbelievers have no contribution to understanding certain things, like math and science and other things like that. However, when it's related to foundational truths that set up the way that we are to interpret all of reality, both spiritual and physical, it's God's word that has the ultimate authority. Yet too often there are many who value the world's input more than God's word. And it reminds me of Isaiah 8, uh, 19 through 20, which says, And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the uh, necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? to the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. And now, I know in context, he's referring to those who, speak, uh, who seek after uh, spiritual mediums. However, what do the dead have to say to the living? And I think in principle, we ought to apply this to us. 
Um, as it says in the passage, should not a people inquire of their God? God is the one whom we ought to seek for all matters of life. We must hold on to the word of God. And we see that example in the Proverbs there, as the fathers teach their children. Uh, note, note the example set for us by uh, this passage here, by Timothy's household, in which, in which case... Uh, it was his believing grandmother and mother who successfully passed on the baton of faith to young Timothy. Uh, can someone read this passage? But as for you, continue what you have learned and what you So this is a good example of passing on the baton of our faith, that those after us would benefit from our learning from God's word. Now, uh, moving along, uh, going back to our main text in Proverbs 4, we read in verses 5 through 9, it says, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the, the words of my mouth, do not forsake her and she will keep you, love her and she would guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She would honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland, and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And so here, we're exhorted to impress upon our children that the most important thing in all of life is to cherish divine wisdom. Now, bear in mind that what Proverbs is referring to when it speaks of divine wisdom is, is nothing other than the revelation of the mind and the will of God, which is Scripture. Now, they, at the time, did not have the privilege that we have about reading about Jesus' earthly ministry and the Gospels and so on and so forth. However, as we discussed last week, the divine wisdom is exemplified by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So you look at Proverbs, you see the wisdom there. We have the advantage of looking at Christ and his life and we see that uh, Christ is the fulfillment of that wisdom. He's the embodiment of that wisdom. Uh, this means that we get to see wisdom as lived out by Christ. We also read the wisdom in Proverbs and other parts of the Old Testament. And we gain insight on how Christ must have been, how he walked, and how he was in his character. Moving on, the, the father then exhorts his son, Do not forsake wisdom. She will keep you. Love her and she would guard you. See this in uh, verse 6. So he's basically telling his son, do not get sidetracked, allowing other things to become your number one priority, right? Things like career, education, money, friends, and even family. Now, as a parent, you know, my children are very little, but uh, some of you uh, are or were uh, parents with uh, children living in your household at some point, and it it's hard not to focus on things like career and education and money uh, and, and things about family. It's hard to advise them on things that are not those things, right? Because those things in a, in, in a lot of ways do matter. Um, we always want the best career for our children. We want them to have the best education or to, to assure them that, that they will have money for, so that they would be able to provide for their own families and things like that. And, and it's understandable that those are top priorities often. Um, but what we're learning here is that there is a, a more important priority that we need to instruct our children in, and it's the Word of God, the wisdom of God. Uh, and, and 
it happens. You know, you have uh, Christian parents growing up in the faith, but when it's time to deal with their children or raise them up and instruct them, they get practical really fast. <laughs> they they want to teach them just about the practical things and not the foundational things. Um, and this is this is what we what we understand here from this passage that don't uh, put God as sort of a a, a, a thing that will help you with everything else, you know, sort of like a thing that would protect you from being a so-called bad person. No, God should be the top priority. It should be the most important thing, that if they don't have money, if they don't have a good education, that they're walking with the Lord, that they are secure in their eternal life, uh, and that they walk in the wisdom of God. That is, is utterly foundational. And so, again, the the father is instructing the son, do not get sidetracked, allowing other things to become your number one priority. Things like career, education, money, friends, family. Don't cast away divine wisdom as though it was something that belonged to your childhood as when you were growing up. Um, or, or something that, you know, when they grew up, they look at it and say, okay, that's outdated. That was something I learned when I was a child. No, the goal of instructing our children is so that they would see godly wisdom as relevant to every aspect of their lives when they grow up and they become independent. On the contrary, the son should be like Peter, right? Who said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? See this in John 6, uh, verse 68. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that should be the heart of our children. And it's easy for a son, if if you are a child now here living with your parents, uh, pay attention to this. It's easy for you as a son or as a daughter to grow up hearing God's word and then once you become an adult, uh, you only associate that wisdom, that knowledge from God as something of your childhood. Like, yeah, I grew up uh, living in a Christian house and so these are just little principles for your life. And it's easy to grow up and to put that aside and say, yeah, I grew up like that. and not see its relevancy uh, with all of life. Uh, or it's easy for you or any of us to place God, God's wisdom in a separate category and not find, not find God's word to be relevant in, in other categories of your life. And yet the father here is calling for the son not to forsake it, but to see its relevancy for all of life. Now, a quick side note. Uh, you'll see, even in this passage that we read, uh, and throughout throughout the early chapters of Proverbs, that uh, the divine wisdom is poetically personified as, as a woman. And this is partly due to the fact that the Hebrew word for wisdom, uh, it occurs in a feminine gender. Now, ladies, don't, don't get puffed up. This doesn't mean that uh, women are more uh, wise. It's, it's just a, uh, a poetic per- personified or a personification. Now... Women, you are wise. So, f- for the record. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. But this is a, uh, this is a, a uh, literary device. Anyway, moving along. Uh, we see that the father informs his son in verse 7. Uh, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. And the point of this counsel is to impress the Son and upon us the supreme value of divine wisdom and understanding. 
Uh, in New Testament terms, the Lord Jesus expresses a similar truth in his parable uh, of the merchant uh, searching for pearls. Read here, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So even though the, the parable is talking about the kingdom of heaven, uh, we see wisdom enca- encapsulated there as the merchant trades all that he has for what he knows to be of greater value. So wisdom is that. Wisdom is of greater value. Uh, and we need to prefer it over a lot of what we often tend to prefer, right? Our culture today makes celebrities out of people who are foolish and do not know of divine wisdom. They uplift stupidity. They really do. They uplift it over wisdom. And it's a cool thing in today's culture to act or say ignorant and stupid things. Uh, It makes you funny. It makes you popular. Uh, And we need to discern of this. Now, if you're a parent, your children may be drawn to certain TV shows or music or social media personalities that may come across as innocent and non-sinful. It may not... Sometimes some of this stuff doesn't have profanity or sexual imagery. It, ain't, it may even seem clean in a lot of ways. But those aren't the only categories that are damaging to your children. Some of these shows or musicians or social media personalities simply uplift ignorance. And sometimes they uplift foolishness and stupidity and, and lack, lack of wisdom. And this eventually pushes for foolishness to be cool and wisdom to be uncool. And these, these things shape us and are formative. And yet God's word calls us to get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. And so we have to guard our hearts and guard uh, the hearts of our children as well. Now, if you would imagine uh, Proverbs 4 as a, a guidance counseling session between the father and the son... It would be as if the father sits with his son and says, let's talk about your future, right? And while the son may be thinking, great, let's talk about how I'm going to make a lot of money. Let's talk about where or where or how I'm going to have success and find the best security. And the father, at that moment, he redirects the son to a more foundational issue, which is that the son needs to invest in divine wisdom and to make it his purpose to know God and to seek his divine uh, wisdom. Uh, it's far more foundational and more valuable than all money, success, and security for our children. And this, this kind of counsel is similar to Jesus' exhortation in Matthew 6, uh, 19 through 21, and also 33. Uh, can someone read that? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Seek first his kingdom and its righteousness. Thank you. So in verse 23, going back to our uh, main text, we're exhorted to instruct our children to take care of their heart. You'll see it there. It says, keep your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. 
what it's saying is that what is in your heart is sooner or later going to direct your life. And it's going to reveal itself in your life. So whatever you're putting in your heart, even though you may act a certain way externally and with other people, in your private time, whatever you're feeding your heart will eventually come out. It'll come out in your speech. It'll come out in your actions. You can try to protect and guard yourself from expressing those things, but they'll come out, and they'll come out when you least expect it. Uh, it's so easy to train yourself to be a certain way with certain people. And I think we've all had to do that at some point in our lives. There are occasions where we have to be in our best behavior, right? That's okay. Um, and this means you don't get to express all that you may feel. Uh, and this doesn't mean that you're being fake. This is a social grace that should be considered a good thing. Of course, though, there is a time and place for everything. There are times when we need to be transparent and willing to be open. And on the other hand, there are a few people out there who say that, you know, I want to be real everywhere I go. Um, I shouldn't have to put up a, a false persona. And oftentimes what they really mean when they say that is that they want to be really rude in the name of keeping it real. And since being vulnerable and transparent is the highest virtue in today's culture, unfortunately, this kind of thing has given them a license to um, sort of value transparency over uh, having a, a sort of a social grace among other people and, and understanding uh, where you are, time and place, considering all those matters. But in verse 23, we have this call to keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the, spring of, the springs of life. And again, this is a warning that tells us that what is in your heart is sooner or later going to reveal itself in your life and direct your life. Um, Jesus informs us of something very similar. He says in Matthew 12, 34, and 35, it says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And so in summary, uh, what we learn from this is that it's better to train your heart than to train your external expressions. Right? You can look in the mirror and practice that smile <laughs> or practice that you know, handshake or whatever, however you want to act before men. Not to say that those things don't have a place, but uh, you know, it's better to train your heart than to train your external expressions of behavior. Uh, both are important, but it's first in your heart where all external expressions finds its root. And so the goal is that your heart is trained to love God and his word so that what comes out of you, especially in you know, unplanned moments, what comes out of you is always good fruit without you ever having to be insincere, right? So if, you, if you're one of those people that say, you know, I really just want to be sincere. I want to be transparent with people. That, can, that, that is not a good thing in and of itself. It's what comes out of that transparency. So yes, be transparent. God is calling you to do that. But uh, what you need to be focusing on is your private life, your heart. And what you're storing up in your heart um, allows you to be transparent and not sin against your brother or sin against your neighbor. So uh, invest in your heart. Um, and I'd say this, it first begins with your heart being regenerate, regenerate in Christ. It begins with the transformation of the heart. 
you can't produce good godly fruit if you're not born again. And so if you're trying to be good or a good person uh, so that you can be part of the Christian religion, uh, you, you can't. It's impossible. Um, you can't do it. This, it's a miracle from God for you to walk in Christ. And it requires you to humble yourself and acknowledge that. Come to Christ, repent from your sins, and ask God to do the changing in your heart for you. So uh, it begins with your heart being regenerated in Christ. It's and it, your heart, mm. your heart, it's going to spill out. That's right. Yeah, no escape from that. Yeah. And this, uh, it, it begins with the regenerate heart and it continues as we feed it with God's word routinely. And we also see uh, in Proverbs uh, 23, 26, the father implores his son, my son, give me your heart. And this is, in a sense, the same loving command that our Heavenly Father has for us. And this is why we need to be born again. We need to surrender our hearts to uh, His Holy Word. Now, no matter how Christian your family and upbringing may or may not have been, you still have to have your sinful heart changed in Christ. And if the wisdom in Proverbs calls us to seek wisdom and to guard it, I think it follows also that this wisdom should lead us to recognize our need for a heart change. So, you know, we can, we can summarize that by saying that the Proverbs and the wisdom of Proverbs is good wisdom in and of itself, but if you follow it consistently, it's going to also show your need for Christ. Um, it's always pointing to Christ. Uh, consider the case of Samuel, right? 1 Samuel 3, 7, 8. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And then verse 8 says, the Lord called Samuel. So this verse is speaking on Samuel, who had a godly family and who grew up in the very temple of the Lord. This is the same Samuel that the passage says did not yet know the Lord. And so he grew up in the temple, he grew up uh, knowing the things of God, and yet he wasn't born of God. What does this mean? for the Christian father or the Christian mother. This means that the way that we pass on the baton of faith to our children is through, first, teaching them doctrine, God's moral law, excuse me, God's moral law, teaching them about God's holiness, and of course what God requires for all men, right? We're called to shape their worldview, but also, uh, in connection to what we just read in 1 Samuel, it's a call for us to tell them of their need for Christ, even as, as little children, informing them on what he has done to save those who trust them, and also teaching them about repentance. So it's not training your children only in morality, but it's also uh, showing them, as you train them in doctrine and showing them God's holiness, that you would lead them to uh, a realization that they need to repent and trust in Jesus. We see similar words in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. Uh, can someone read that? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced, remembering from whom you have learned it, from how from infancy you have Knowing the holy scriptures that are able to make you wise with regard to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you. 
And so this verse shows that we can train our children in the scriptures and in doctrine even though they may not yet be believers, right? God can use this training to make them wise for salvation in, in Christ. You see that there in the last sentence. Uh, I remember visiting a Presbyterian church while I was on vacation uh, out of town. It was a wonderful time of worship and the word faithfully preached. Uh, those are our brothers in, in, in the Lord, so I love them and I praise God for them. Uh, but I remember uh, talking to someone after the service and they asked me, so what do you do about your children? And they were asking because they, they knew I was a Reformed Baptist. Uh, and he said, he said, what do you do about your children? And he was asking with a concern. Uh, I guess he had a concern about people uh, treating their children as pagans and unbelievers. And of course, his concern was coming from a goodwill. Uh, and as a Presbyterian, he understood children of believing parents as real covenant members in Christ. And uh, he believed that the children of believers need to be treated as Christians, right? Uh, he felt that, treated, that treating them as outsiders would have a negative effect on their upbringing. So, you know, I understood. But my reply, I think, also came from a real concern for their upbringing as well. And I replied to him by saying, you know, what do I do about my children? I evangelize them. Right? I train them up in the Lord. And I also require them to worship God, not because I think they can, but because God requires all men to worship God regardless of the state of their heart. It's a, it's a requirement by virtue of you being a human being. And so I require my children to worship God. I pray with my children. Sometimes I allow them to pray. Um, but I do this not because I believe that they're Christians. I don't know what their little hearts believe sometimes. Um, but I do so training them up so that they know what God requires. Uh, and I don't uh, assume too quickly that they are uh, believers. And I also shared how I believe, and this is again, this is what I believe, <laughs> that I believe that it would have a worse effect on them if I treat them as if they were in the covenant, giving them the covenant signs and seals, if in fact they truly did not possess true saving faith. And so, in other words, I think we ought to train up our children in the way of the Lord, not only because it will serve them in the future, but also because God commands them to do these things regardless of the state of their heart. And so we do that, we obey God by training them up, teaching them what uh, the commandments are, and if they don't follow these commandments, they need to repent and trust and, and hold on to a Savior. His name is Jesus. All those things, informing our, chil our children of that. Okay, that was point number one. <laughs> point number two, I promise it, it goes faster from here on out. Uh, point number two, Christian, the Christian father is to pass on the baton of faith by leading your children in the way of the Lord. And so in this point, uh, we'll see that it isn't only teaching them verbally, but actually leading them in the way of the Lord. Now, listen carefully to the godly father's testimony to his son. He says in verse 11, I have taught you the way of wisdom, and I have led you in the paths of uprightness. And so 
not only does the godly father point out the way of godliness, he also sets the example of all these things. And this is why he says, I have led you in the path of righteousness. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you an example of the opposite of that. Uh, it's, a, it's a very striking example of a son being negatively influenced by his father's hypocritical behavior. Um, and the example I'm going to give you is Karl Marx. Karl Marx. I don't know if many of you knew this, but his father stopped practicing his Jewish religion so that he might gain the favor of his Gentile customers for his business so that he can become more prosperous. Now, seeing this conduct of his father, Marx himself grew up and eventually concluded that religion was insignificant and not worth anything. And so this reminds me of many parents, not you guys, but many parents today who struggle with what I consider to be a very basic element of the Christian life, which is simply going to church and going to church on the Lord's Day. Now, many people hate this standard because they think it's legalistic. Like, I can be a Christian without church. Um, but in reality, uh, being the Christian who doesn't make coming to church, uh, especially on the Lord's Day, of any priority communicates to the child something. And that something has long-lasting, generational, grandchildren-reaching effects, negative effects. It really does. Something as simple as being consistent and going to church. Not to mention that the Bible tells us that uh, do not forsake the gathering of, of the saints. But um, but again, you see that what you do as a parent is going to have effect on, on your child. Not only, as Pastor Jack says, it's not only what is taught, but oftentimes it's what is caught by, by the child as they observe your life. Uh, this proverb of the father leading the son in the paths of righteousness, I think has a lot more implications for us to consider. But I'd say this, the Christian father, or for you, Christian parents, when your son or daughter looks at your life, do they, do they see that you cherish divine wisdom above everything else? Do they see that you practice the counsel, uh, counsel that we read here in uh, verse 7? Uh, ask yourself, what is the number one priority in your life? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness? Or is your career number one? Or is your recreation number one? Is there something else that is placed above Christ? in your heart and in your life? Is that, is that something that they're seeing in you? Where do you place the Lord in your everyday conduct? What, what, are, they, what are they interpreting by that alone? Uh, do you just honor God occasionally? Or can they see that you honor God in the small things, the big things, and every, everything else in your life? Christian parents, when you, your son or daughter looks at your life, do they see that you're avoiding the path of the wicked? as we read about in verses 14 through 17? Uh, are you honest in your business practices? Are you pure in uh, your choice of entertainment? Are you loving towards your wife? This is something, that's a big one. I, uh, I was just recently talking to a person who was considering divorce. And they really wanted to get divorced. And the, the husband was saying, you know, We've already separated. I'm already living somewhere else. We haven't officially become divorced, but I'm already living somewhere else. 
but I'm faithfully visiting my children every weekend. And listen, I, this is not to judge anyone who may be in that situation. There, every scenario is very different. So this is not a judgment for anyone who may be going through a hardship in your marriage or whatever the case may be. But all I'm saying is that the, the child doesn't only need your presence. There's something about the husband loving the wife or loving the, the mom. That is also something that needs to be provided to the children. And so having that witnessed to them says something. It says something about God in a lot of ways, you know, things like that. So, uh, you know, uh, one of the things is, are you pure in your choices of entertainment? Are you loving towards your wife or, or wives? Are you loving your husbands? Are you respecting your husbands? Uh, are you considerate of your neighbor? Are you living peace with people outside? These are all things that the children are catching. When, if you have this priority of, uh, passing the baton to your children, your life has to resemble that as well. And that's one of the most important things, or one of the most important ways to pass on truth to your children is to demonstrate it yourself. Uh, moving along. We see in 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18, we beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to a greater degree of glory. And so I, I think it's always important to remember that what your children need most is your sanctification, right? Of course, feeding them the word, but they also need your sanctification. So they need to see you growing in the Lord. They need to see you flourishing in the Lord and, and honoring God in all that you do. And so if you want to raise your children right, work on your spiritual life. Work on your private life, your devotional life, your, your walk with God. Those things will have effect, and they would affect them positively. And it's uh, one of the best ways to transfer truth to future generations. Last point. Let's see, I, let's see if I can do this in uh, three minutes. The Christian father is to pass on the baton of faith and do so with confidence. And so, up to this point in life, the father in the Proverbs has been the counselor, in a sense, right, pointing the way. He's been the guide. He's been leading the way. And for his son, as we saw in verse 11, um, he, he's, he's not only training him in doctrine, but training him and leading him with his own life. But now his son is becoming a young man, right? And he's about to launch out on his own. And therefore, uh, verse 12 shifts to the pronoun you and, the way, and, and away from this pronoun I. Right? And notice the confidence that the godly father now expresses in verse 12. Uh, it says, when you walk, your steps will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. And so there's a confidence that the son will go in the paths of righteousness. There's this confidence that the Lord will watch over him along the pathway. And if one is on the path of God's wisdom, the Lord will reveal himself to be this young man's savior, champion, and source of wisdom. Uh, as we read in uh, 1 John 4, 4, you belong to God, my little children, and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And so uh, we, we see that uh, what God becomes to this child is his savior and his champion. The Lord will also reveal himself to this young man as his counselor, right? Isaiah 30 Verse 21 says, and when you turn aside to the right or to the left, 
with your ears you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And I think the Lord will also reveal himself to be the young man's companion. John 14, 18 says, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Lord will reveal himself to be the young man's comforter as well as he walks in wisdom. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. And again, this is what we want to see in our children, that they walk confidently in the Lord, Notice, too, the desire and the hope that the godly father expresses in verse 12b, where it says, and if you run, you will not stumble. And there's not only the confidence that his son will walk in the path of righteousness, there's also the present desire and uh, prospect that the son will run in the path of righteousness. And in practical terms, this running in the pathway of righteousness means at least in its ultimate expression, is that, again, like I mentioned before, instructing them in godly wisdom will eventually lead them to see their need for Christ. And so walking in in Christ is the ultimate expression of walking in wisdom. And apart from that, no one could have any confidence in walking in wisdom or walking in God. And this is why wisdom always points to our need for uh, Christ. Now, bear in mind that the confidence and the hope expressed in verse 12, stems from the lifestyle set forth in verse 11. And this is to say that teaching is what leads one to walk in the righteous path. It requires instruction. It requires involvement in their lives uh, to teach them and to show them the way of the path. Therefore, the Christian father must pass on the baton of faith, not only in doctrine, not only in moral precepts, but a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to do so prayerfully with confidence, trusting that if you instruct your children in the way, that they won't depart. And again, this is is, uh, our hope, our faith, uh, and regardless of the outcome, it's our responsibility as parents. Um, If you worry too much about going one extreme or the other, sometimes that's that's a struggle with parents not being too much or sometimes worrying that maybe you're being too little or, or not giving too much uh, investment in them. It's hard to balance that. But if we stick to the scriptures, if we stick to what God wants us to do for our children, and don't worry about the pressures of the world, shut that phone off for a little bit, look at the word of God and see what it requires us as parents to do, and allow that to be um, what your vision is for child raising uh, and passing the, uh, the faith forward. Let, let the word of God be authoritative when it comes to uh, raising our children and passing on the faith to the future. In conclusion, as I mentioned earlier, uh, that guy, uh, George Gallup, he expressed concern over the failure of our recent generations to pass on uh, to our children the spiritual trust received from our forefathers. But we don't need that guy to tell us that, right? God instructs us to do this in his word. So we we ought to obey uh, in that in that way. Christians, Christian fathers are to pass on the baton of faith to our sons and daughters by instructing them in the way of the Lord, by also leading them in the way of the Lord, and also to do this prayerfully with confidence in, in the God who could and who will do that um, if, if this is his will. 
So we have great confidence in, in, in our Lord. Okay, that concludes uh, Proverbs 4. Next week, uh, Lord willing, Pastor Ron will continue with chapter 5. Uh, let me go ahead and, yeah, please. important things to consider. And what I would say is that an accurate understanding of what the Bible instructs will also instruct us to, to, uh, to avoid legalism. Um, it also teaches, teaches us on how to be gracious, how to display forgiveness. I mean, these are all important things. I think when we think of authority and we think of training, oftentimes um, we think about beating our kids every time they sin. And that's not really um, that's not really the heart of the of uh, of what Scripture tells us about how we ought to train our children. So, I think the, the, the Scripture is sufficient in telling us this balance, informing us of this balance, and we don't need the magazines or the blogs that are out there. As helpful as some of it can be, I think um, the the goal is as long as it's consistent with Scripture. Scripture being the final authority. I think Scripture is sufficient in telling us how to how to keep that balance. So, yeah, yeah, please. I think about the Psalms. I figure which Psalm it is that shows that progression of sitting, standing, walking, and running. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there is that maturing and growing and being able to stand and standing firm and walking and then running. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That process there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I am from a family where three of I have three sisters, and none of them are Christians. My mm-hmm. parents are Christians. Uh, when I think about uh, the passing of the baton, I, I think about uh, the uh, what happened when we established our worldview, when we like where we got that in mm-hmm. uh, adolescence. Yeah. Uh, and you know they, they told us facts, which that was uh, you know, what we could handle when we were Children. in elementary school. Mm-hmm. So, but it's basically that I went to my parents because I didn't have a giant friend group, and my sisters didn't. I, I, think. I see. And I don't, I don't know how to deal with that. What do you think? Yeah, that's a that's that's important. What you're saying. Um, because the, the reality is that training up your children and shaping their worldview when they're young doesn't necessarily guarantee uh, the outcome that all your children will, will be children of God, be saved. Um, and so, in a sense, what you're saying is, is true, that um, are, it, it's a limited uh, thing. It's a, it's a task that's given to parents, but a lot of it is really out of their hands, and it's left to the providence of God. The, the, the thing is, though, that God will still hold the parents responsible if they neglect at least the responsibility to train up their children. Uh, and it's the same thing if you think about uh, God's sovereignty and, hu- and then, of course, human responsibility when it comes to giving the gospel. 
Uh, when we go out and evangelize, you know, we're, we're doing what God has instructed us to do, but only God can really do the changing of the hearts. And so we, we do everything that we can to be faithful to Scripture. It's not going to be perfect, but God can and will use that in the transformation of, of, the, child of, of the hearts of the children, but it doesn't always guarantee that. Um, I think you have a greater chance, and I hate to use the word chance, um, but speaking more naturalistically, uh, it, it, would, it would make sense that if the child lived all his life and the story, the narrative of, of his life, the way that he's interpreting all of life is that God actually exists and that he will judge all men. You know, those key things um, that are true that we get from scripture. When you inform your child of that, then they walk in the world with that story, with that narrative. The problem with today is that we, we, don't, we don't train our children with that story, with the story of the Bible. We allow the world to train them up. And so when they go to public school, what, what they're reading, and this is not a shot at public school. Uh, this is just simply saying that when they do go to public school, their narrative, their story is very different. Uh, God is not part of that story. Um, and so the, the story of Christianity is always strange to them. Of course it's strange to them because the foundational story that was fed to them was that there is no God. And so they have a lot, they have a harder time accepting the truths of Christianity and they're, they're needing so much proof um, when God has already said that nature already proves the existence of God. And it, it, it requires the parents to sort of counter that. Um, I, I wouldn't say that if your parents were faithful that it's their fault that, you know, the other sisters are not walking in the ways of the Lord. But um, I would say that um, parents are not, regardless of the outcome, are not to neglect that responsibility. And so if, if, if uh, uh, one of the parents decides to leave and not take upon, the, take upon that responsibility, he doesn't want anything to do, he doesn't see his children, things like that, he hasn't, he hasn't been uh, exempted from that responsibility because he's not around anymore. That responsibility follows him everywhere he goes because it's a God-given responsibility. And so all that to say is uh, you can't neglect that responsibility. It's, it's, uh, it's a requirement from God. The outcome is beyond our, uh, you know, beyond our hands, beyond our ability, but the responsibility is not. You're, you're called to do that. Hopefully that helps and answers the question. We got to pray. Uh, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Proverbs 4. Uh, Lord, we ask that, that, that you would help us to take serious the responsibility to pass on the truth of your word to our children. Let us not give them over to the world, but that we would fulfill our responsibility with them. May you give strength to mothers here and fathers here in our church to take this task seriously. And we also pray for our children. May you sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.